Okay, everyone, welcome to Pushing Rubber Podcast number 144. Gee, it's getting on, isn't it? 144, how about that? And you throw in uh, the shows I've done with a great one. A few, uh, a few tracks going there. This is Adam Piggott coming to you from the Netherlands on a uh, bit of a cloudy and rainy Sunday afternoon. Honestly, just how I like it occasionally. Just how I like it. You know what I've done this weekend? Nothing. I haven't even been out of the house. I haven't even been out of the house. The car has not moved. I haven't left the property. Nothing. Got everything organised on Thursday and Friday afternoon after work. Did all my shopping and stuff like that. Needed it. Needed it. Lovely. Uh, So what have I done? Read some books. Uh, done some work on my next book, written a bunch of articles for the following week, recording this podcast, cooked some good food, watched some programs, drank some nice drinks. I'm drinking, uh, it's the afternoon now, so I'm drinking a Campari soda, one of my favourite afternoon drinks. Campari is an aperitivo, Italian, and that means appetite. So you've got aperitivi, which is the plural of aperitivo, and digestivi, which is digestive. So you drink the aperitives before food because it gets your appetite going. And you drink the digestives after you've finished uh, your meal because it, it settles everything down. It does work, but I also think it's a really nice way of ensuring that you keep drinking the entire day. <laughs> Absolutely wonderful, and I've got nothing against that. Um, now, Campari soda is also a drink that you can use to test out a bar, uh, you know, back when we used to go to bars, when we had lives and were allowed out. Um, isn't it funny that during the no- lockdown, I'm really happy to be sitting at home all the time. I think it's because I don't have to go out and deal with all the lockdown shit and people are like, am I going to get the plague? No, not into it anymore. So I just don't want to deal with anybody, anybody at all. Not even you lot. All I have to do to deal with you is I record this and then I load it up and then you will listen to it. I don't care. Don't care. Campari soda. So it's a good way to test out a bar to check whether or not they're any good because it's a very simple drink because there's only Campari soda, right? Which means it's very hard to get right. Isn't that funny? The complicated drinks you can hide behind as a barman like a rum punch or something. You can hide behind that because there's lots of stuff that goes in and it looks complicated. But when you've only two ingredients, a Campari and soda, there's not much to hide behind. You better get things right. Now, you're probably thinking, well, how could they stuff that up? Well, you sit down at the bar, you order a Campari soda. I've seen this happen. They bring an empty glass out to your table and they have one of those those Campari soda pre-mix bottles from Campari, they crack that, they tip it into the glass, put the empty little bottle next to you and walk off. And it's not cold. Like the bottle was sitting on the... I've seen that happen. In Italy. So, there you go. There's an extreme, isn't it? Yeah. I've seen Campari soda done where they pour the Campari from the bottle not the pre-mix now into the glass, and then 
fill it up with soda and then give that to you and the glass is not very appealing and that's it. And if you've drunk that Campari soda, then you'd probably think that uh, this is not a particularly nice drink. And that'll be a shame because it's actually a glorious drink. So here's how you make a Campari soda. First, get yourself a really nice cut glass tumbler. The, cut, the kind that you would drink a whiskey in. Um, if you don't have a really good set of cut glass tumblers, well then you need to go out and get them. They need to be heavy in the, your hand. They need to feel weighty when you pick it up. requires some effort you, you you could bash it against the skull of an intruder and you'd win that's the sort of glass you want then you've got to have ice and we need decently large decently sized chunks of ice if you're really sophisticated you can go for one big block you know those little uh, yogurt uh, you can bet like a four snap pack of yogurt and it's in a little plastic container well, those plastic containers actually make the perfect size larger ice cube. And you can use those for singles and just have one of those in your glass. Or fill the glass up with, you know, good chunks of ice. Now, your basic level of good Campari soda is you'll use orange as your garnish. And what you want to do is you want to peel off a section of orange rind without the white part. Because that just makes it taste yucky. And then what you do is you just, you've got the nice bit of orange rind, you just snap it on your palm of your hand a little bit, like, and give your wrist while you're holding it a good flick while you do it. And what that does is it releases all of the orangey oils. And then you take the peel, the outside part, and rub it around the top of the glass, just slightly on the inside, and put it in the ice. Now you're going to pour your Campari over it a shot and a half from a jiggler so about 45 mils 30 plus 15 i don't know what that is in uh, americanisms and you want the campari to pour over the ice and the orange so now the campari is infusing itself there with the orange flavors then you get a really nice uh sparkling water like a san pellegrino or something like that fresh bottle be in the fridge crack that fill up the glass with the soda now get a little teaspoon Give it a stir around, but gently. Don't be really whacking it like you do with uh, a mojito or something like that. Now that, that's a drink. I'm not drinking that. I'm drinking another step up. I'm not using the orange garnish. What I'm using is a decent sprig of thyme uh, fresh from the garden. So once again, I've, I've cut a nice sprig of thyme, a healthy, fresh shoot. So the, the shoot's not woody or well, the stem's not woody i should say i've snapped that to release once again the flavor i've put that in the drink and then and done the same way time is is uh adds an extra complexity to the drink which is really good mm. and that's what i'm drinking now when you first take a sip of campari soda like this when you've never tasted campari before your taste buds are probably going to rebel a little bit at what they've just been assaulted by and your taste buds are going to kind of scream out the question what the hell was that and the answer to that question is that's adulthood that's what that is so get used to it baby and you just need to push through it's like anything you know like 
you know, olives or really good salty licorice or whiskey, scotch whiskey or something like that. You need to get through and then once once your taste buds are used to it, they'll be craving it in an alcoholic buzz kind of way. So that's what I'm drinking as I'm talking to you all now. If you've got those ingredients at home, why not pause this podcast at this point? Go off and make yourself a Campari soda and come back. Keep going where we left off at this point before. So here we are. You've paused the podcast. You've gone and made your drink. You've got your drink. You're feeling sophisticated. You're feeling like a manly man doing manly things. And that was what that's what this podcast is all about. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, Adam, 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 Campari soda. Yeah. It's not manly men doing manly things. Yes, it is. Yes, it is, you know. Uh, I watched a documentary today by Jeremy Clarkson. It was on Borepatch's site. On the commando raid on the St. Nazir docks in March of 1942, which I already knew about. Uh, but God, it was a brilliant documentary. And gee, these were great guys. And they selected them on their intelligence and individualism. Which basically, I was thinking to myself, any rafting company that I <laughs> worked for would have... All they all need to do is go out to the rafting companies back in the 90s that I worked for, like in... In Cairns, we had 40 guides on staff. There you go. There's a company of <laughs> commandos for you. Seriously, that's exactly what everyone was. And they had photos of them in uh, 1941, 1942, uh, like parade ground, you know, everyone's, you know, facing the camera in their dress kit. And the vast majority, they, they were focusing on some of these guys who earned Victoria Crosses on the mission. And they're sitting there with their legs crossed with the the dainty fold over so you've got the sit with your legs spread donald trump style the man man spreading sort of thing is what the feminist witches call it and then you've got the lay one leg over so your uh, the heel of your foot is sitting on your knee or the opposite knee sort of thing that's a manly one but then you've got the the legs slightly over dainty one now i've noticed on that sitcom two and a half men that uh Charlie Sheen sits like this all the time. And then I noticed that all of these commando guys are sitting like that. That made me feel good because that's how I sit. I sit with the leg. Hey, commandos do it. Commandos who raided St. Nazir do it. I'm fine with it. Fine. Manly men. Manly men doing manly things. It's all we need to get. Very good documentary. Um, now, I want to talk about today an article at uh, Kim's blog. Here we go. A splendid isolation. And it's called Welcome Change, and I'll link it in the show notes. I'll link the the Jeremy Clarkson uh, documentary as well. Uh, Welcome change, and it's basically about the fact that as a result of the Chinese pox, um, it turns out that online or homeschooling uh, numbers might 
go up quite a lot because a lot of people in this poll, uh, it said, uh, here's something funny that he quoted. But there are some surprising numbers from that poll. Homeschooling, it seems, is not something that more whites want to do to flex their privileged muscle. Only 36% of white parents said they were more likely to homeschool. Only 36%. One third of parents said they were more likely to homeschool. How is that not high? Um, Anyway, the survey doesn't make a lot of sense based on what we're hearing in the media about how hard online education is, how children aren't learning anything and how parents are maxed out. Um... So anyway, Kim goes on. That, that's quoting from the, the article that Kim quotes. And then he goes on basically uh, about the, the benefits of homeschooling. But I want to talk about a couple of things. And the main thing I want to talk about is what I, I talked about in the Friday Hot Lick, Lick Chicks and Links this week, which was the fact that I've been right a lot over the last few years in my predictions um but you know that's not really that's not really that great because all i really need to do is is do the opposite of what the media are pushing um because the media always get it wrong and when i got to the homeschooling one from kim once again I'll, I'll quote that again from the article he quoted. The survey doesn't make a lot of sense based on what we're hearing in the media about how hard online education is, how children aren't learning anything, and how parents are maxed out. So the media, the mainstream media, is 100% dead set against homeschooling. Um, isn't that just? Isn't that just telling? It's not amazing. I want to use the. I want to use the adjective amazing, but it's not amazing at all, you know. Um, adverb, sorry. Um, because the, it's just another sign that the main street media are lock step in line with the globalists. If you're a journalist today, you get told what to write. You get told... I think the worst insult I've ever had was when someone who disagreed with something, an article that I wrote, Accused me of being a poor excuse for a journalist. I was devastated. I really was. That someone actually accused me of being a journalist. I mean, the horror. That's absolutely awful. That's just a terrible thing to say to someone. It's the worst insult. It's the worst accusation or slur I've ever had thrown at me in my life. I mean, I was absolutely devastated. They, they seriously, they assumed that I was a journalist and all. Oh, and the, and on top of that, they assumed that I went to to a university to get my ju- journalism degree. I think the article, the, the no, so the comment was something like, "Well, I can't believe you know you're not living up to your journalistic university degree." <laughs> what? I didn't go to university, and I certainly wouldn't go to university to learn how to be a journalist of all things. This is dreadful. Um, these people just get told what to write. They get told what their viewpoints are. Now, don't get me wrong. They don't get told as in, this is what you have to say. 
They get brainwashed all through university, and then in the selection process, they'll make sure they have all the right opinions, that they've swallowed all the right, you know. Example, homeschooling is bad. And uh, only then will they be allowed to, you know, join the journalistic field. And, um, and, 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 and this is why it's all, they're all lockstep in, in line with each other. It's it's so pathetic to be a journalist nowadays. It really is. I mean, I'm, I'm I struggle to think of a time where it was a good thing to be a journalist. I suppose maybe during the Second World War and in the fifties, maybe things like the Pulitzer Prize actually meant something. You know, you had Edward Murrow broadcasting from London while, you know, the city was getting the crap bombed out of it. Um, you had writers like Ernest Hemingway, even though he was a socialist lefty fuck, you know, literally landing on D- Omaha Beach a couple of days after D-Day and, and, and getting into Paris before the bulk of the US Army. Um, and then doing it from a writing standpoint. I mean, you know. This there was some good stuff, and there was plenty of you know war correspondents that lost their lives. Um, but just I mean, journalism today is just utter dog shit, utter utter dog shit. I think the low point is this uh, this this horrible child of Mia Farrow. I don't know if he is he Woody Allen's child as well. Whatever his name is, Raymond Farrow or something. Is this you know male fame? He'll turn out to be some sort of pornographer or something. It's just you know. Without a doubt. Um, but that the mainstream media are constantly against... Constantly against... And when I just read this, I was just like... I'm going to read it again. The survey doesn't make a lot of sense based on what we're hearing in the media about how hard online education is, how children aren't learning anything, how parents are maxed out. It's not the case at all. It's not the case at all. They're just lying. They have an agenda to push... The last thing they want is for people to take their kids out of the of the government school system. It's the last thing they want. Because then they're not going to have their heads filled full of socialist, leftist, Marxist propaganda. Green fucking Greta Thunberg bullshit. Um, they'll be, they'll be, and not only that, not only that, but it will mean that the mother, hopefully, will be staying at home and not going out to slave away her best years, you know, in some fucking corporate crap job. Heaven forbid that people should start taking control of their own lives. I saw a quote some time ago about when someone was asked to, someone who does home homeschools their children was asked the uh, inevitable question, um, oh, well, aren't you scared about that your children won't be socialised? And the answer was that this person gave, I don't know who, who it was, the person goes, well, not at all, I don't, I'm not, I don't want them to grow up to be socialists. Yeah, what, a, what, a, what a wonderful, wonderful response that is. It just fills all of our hearts with joy and happiness. Uh, of course you should be homeschooling your kids. Of course. Absolutely.
And I've said this before, and Kim says it a little bit in his article here. The way that you educate kids is to get out of their way. That's the way you educate kids. You put all the tools at their disposal, they'll devour it themselves. And how many tools do we have available these days? I mean, just take learning the guitar, for example. When I started studying the guitar in 1984, it's a long time ago, isn't it? When I started studying the guitar in 1984, uh, all right, so I had my guitar teacher and it was classical, but straight away I wasn't particularly happy with this. So I needed to get hold of popular rock music. So all you could do was buy tablature books. Or just, they weren't even tablature books. They were just chord progression books at music stores. And they were they were pretty expensive for like a, a 13 or a 14-year-old teenager back in the day. Um, and they were mostly incorrect. I mean, I... Um, what's the name of the guy that I like on YouTube? Uh, hang on a sec. Hang on a sec. Uh, Rick Rick Beato or Beato Rick Beato. Uh, Rick Beato had a YouTube. Uh, he's got a YouTube channel for guitar. Really, really good stuff. And this was from someone who's been playing the guitar for you know thirty five years. Um, Rick had. He breaks down songs. You know, really, what makes these songs great? And he did it for Ramble On by Led Zeppelin. A song that I learned to play when I was about 14 from a official, you know, Led Zeppelin bloody book. And I'm watching him break the song down into its different component parts. But just the the open intro chords, I'm watching him and I'm like, hang on a second, that's... That's not, that's not what we've been playing. I'll show you, I'll show you. So let me get my guitar. I think it's a bit out of tune. Might be a little bit out of tune. Let me play for you. Just the, the basic opening chord structure of Ramble On. What we played for 35 years. Okay, so this is the, the opening opening chord progression of Ramble On as we knew it from, from all the books. And it's important to understand that after I saw this, I uh, messaged two of my closest friends from... That period, they're both brothers. One's, one was my age, he was my, one of my best friends at school. And his older brother, who actually became the lead guitarist in my main band back in Perth at the time. And I sent them the link and they were both, they were both uh, amazed with the video and really pissed off as well that we've been doing it wrong for so long. So here's how we'd always played Ramble On. <laughs> Key parts, this opening part. Well, it 
turns out that that's not how the song goes at all. It's this. is really um, there's your opening E chord and then it goes down to like an A sus 4 and then you've got this which is just absolutely it's like a jazzy and that's completely different from so this chord or this chord that's just, that's just not even the same no, now you might be sitting there thinking, "Go, oh, that chilly sounds exactly. I can't tell the difference." But there's a big bloody difference. Just put the guitar back. So the point is, is that when I grew up learning the guitar, to get good, you not only had to do a lot of work, as you always have to do on anything to get good, but you really I think the vast majority of kids who dropped out who otherwise would have kept going was just the discouragement factor that you couldn't uh, you couldn't discover anything you couldn't find things out like that so look back in the 70s or 80s anyone who got really good on the guitar and I'm not just saying that because I was really good but really anyone who really got good on the guitar as an example you you had to work your ass off just to find the stuff. And what you'd find also when you played with other guys is that a lot of the guys that you played with wouldn't tell you the tricks. They didn't want it to get out. So I had a guy from work. We had a bunch of people over my house maybe six months ago for a poker night from work. And it turns out that one of the guys, I didn't know he played the guitar. He didn't know that I played the guitar because you were together, right? But he saw my guitars picked. He was pretty good. Pretty good. Not too bad at all. So we're jamming away. We're doing a little bit of a thing. And I'm doing some blue stuff. And I said, you know, you you know, uh, one of the things. And he couldn't, he was soloing in the wrong key. So if it was not blues, just basic three chord progression, one, four, five, but not blues style. So if it was in the key of G, he was trying to, to solo in G. And that's not what you do at all. Uh, and I said to him, uh, no, you, you don't want to do that, man. You just want to, you want to, you don't want to solo in G. Solo in the fifth. Okay. And it's a different, it, it, it's hard to explain. And, but I blew, I blew his mind. I was, he was like, oh my God, I never knew that. I was like, yeah. Doesn't it sound much better? Isn't it much easier? Yes, it is. I didn't find that out until I was 24 and I was in Sydney. And I did some some guitar lessons at a guitar shop. And the guy, and I said, yeah, well, blah, 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 we're really good. I just need you to go to more advanced stuff. And the guy's looking at my chops going, yeah, no worries. I can see that. Absolutely. And then it turned out that I didn't know this little bit here. And he was really amazed. And he told me because I was paying him the money. But no one back in my hometown told me because... No one wanted to give the information out. They didn't want to give the information out because they didn't want you to get better than them. 
that's how it worked. That's how it worked for everything. Everything. I think about back in guilds in the you know the 15th or the 16th, 17th century, that sort of thing. Same sort of you, same sort of idea. You lock the information in so that uh, you're not threatened because your information is key. But now, on the internet, everything's out there. The problem now is finding all the good stuff from all the crap because it's the old wheat from the chaff thing. You've got too much information now. But if you want to get good on the guitar now, well, it's all there. How did jazz? Oh, how did solo as a jazz guitarist? It was always opaque. It was always really opaque. And I bought these soloing books for jazz guitarists, and oh, it was so complicated. It just didn't make sense. It was so dry. And then I'd watch these guys playing, and I'd be trying to work it out. I'd be going, "But are you are you all using the pentatonic fifth there?" What oh no, no man, no, no, it's really complicated. Can't possibly tell you, wankers. Because I've always been the opposite. I'll tell everyone everything I know. Yeah, this is how you do this. No problem. Yeah, here's how you play this song. I was playing. Uh, I was playing some stuff a few months ago, and I was playing in an open G. Uh, tuning on the guitar and and the guy I was with was like I, I don't understand what you're doing well, how are you doing that I said it's just an open G tuning man and I just showed him how it worked and he, it was mind, mind blowing he's like oh my god oh my god how do you do oh okay and then you do this with the chords and then you can solo in this and then you do this and I probably saved him about six months worth of pain and then you do this thing here and blah 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 blah, blah. I think that uh, when I was living in Italy and I was working as an, I, I got work, so I was working as a rafting guide in the summer and then I needed to have a job in the winter and I fell into English teaching because well, that's what you do if you're an expat in Italy. And uh, the mistake I made with my English teaching was that I actually taught my English, my Italian students how, how to speak English. Apparently that was a mistake. What you've got to do is prolong it for about 10 years. That's what that's what all the other English teachers did. Including the schools, especially the official schools. The official school, schools, if, if they teach you how to speak English in six months, they've just lost a student. They get six months or a year out of you, whereas they can get five or ten years out of you, you keep coming back con constantly. So why are they going to teach you English properly? Nah, they're going to drip feed it. They're going to do it in a way that doesn't really make sense. The whole, what's the, the there's this whole English thing, I can't remember what it's called, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Because people don't learn English. And they don't learn English because there's made it, these schools are making a business out of it. And the last thing they want to, people to do is to learn to speak English properly so they don't need the school anymore. So I quickly left that behind and I just went into corporate English teaching. So companies companies would call me up and say, ah, oh, we need some of our staff to speak English because we've just got this uh, contract with such and such and such and such. And I'd go, no problem. So I'd come in and the first thing I'd do is I'd do a general aptitude test, which I made up myself. I just made it up. And it worked 
mostly. And I then identify the guys that I was going to company and say, look, out of the people you gave me, this lot I reckon have the best chance of learning English fast. This lot will take a little bit more time. Uh, and then they'd say, what about this lot over here? And I'd say, oh, they're, they're retarded. So, no, they're not going to learn English. They can barely speak Italian. And then I'd set up a training program and I'd fucking teach them how to speak English. One company, some companies I worked with for five or six years. Because it went so well. I like that. You've taught all them, they teach all these guys. All right. Fucking hell. The best, the best student I had was a hairdresser who joined the class. I, I taught like a general English class in the local library in Val di Sole in Damaro on Tuesday, Thursday nights. And it had like doctors and, you know, engineers and pharmacy owners and stuff from the valley. And it was a good group and, you know, I was in my early 30s and for some reason lots of the students were women. I don't know why. Um, of a certain age. And anyway, this guy joined and he was just like a barber from the local barber shop like nothing special i don't even think he'd finished high school and there was a little bit of a little bit of condescension that i picked up going on in the first couple of lessons because we do them at like 7 30 at night i think it went 7 30 two nights a week and i do it for like 16 weeks or something like that and uh anyway this guy learned to speak fluent English in six months. And the reason why was that he had no imagination, but he had a serious drive to learn English. So because he had no imagination and because he'd been told all his life that he was just a barber, so he wasn't very smart, he didn't think he was very smart. So he followed my instructions to the letter. So if I said to them, okay, guys, I want you to do 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes in the afternoon of going through this grammar, and then three or four times a week, I want you to, you know, listen to this stuff and, and get it in your head. Then I want you to practice with your family members when you sit at the kitchen table. Let them speak Italian, but you respond in English, all right? He followed all of my instructions to the letter. And by the way, these were just teaching techniques that I worked out myself. Because I taught myself Italian and I worked out what worked for me and what didn't work for me. And I just simply applied that. And it worked. This guy, six months was done because he did not need me anymore. It was back in like 2005 or something. And even then the internet was getting to where it needed to be. So he had all these research. YouTube was, I think when did YouTube come out? 2006, 2007. He had all the things, tools at his disposal after that. And he, he didn't need me anymore. And... You know, the same doctors and engineers and stuff were still with me because they didn't follow my instructions to the letter because they figured that they were smarter and they could do it in a different way, even though they were paying me money. That barber, that supposedly unintelligent, he was not an intelligent barber, was the best English student I ever had. He put the others to shame and I shamed them with his example on multiple occasions whenever it took my fancy. So our homeschooling for kids, I mean, really, 
Really, all you've got to do is get out of their way. It's all you've got to do. Just get out of their way and they're going to do their thing. Unless they're functionally retarded and then you've got a retarded kid. And so what you want to get them into is some sort of trade school if they're a guy as soon as you possibly can. And if they're a girl, get them married off as fast as you can and pushing out babies and being a housewife job done. Simples. Shoutouts. Captain Capitalism at captaincapitalism.blogspot.com Aaron is on a walking tour in somewhere in the US, Nevada or something. He invited me across, um, seemingly unbeknownst that uh, international flights for people who aren't, haven't got a decent reason to rock up in your country, aren't happening in the moment. Uh, Aaron's a very good guy and a sponsor of this podcast. The only one, by the way, still after all these couple of years of doing this, I've only got one sponsor. Why doesn't fucking someone else sponsor me, bastards? Um, anyway, go check out Aaron at captaincapitalism.blogspot.com. Check out his many books. Um, one of the first people to call out the university wrought for what it is and was. Um, check out his podcast and his arsehole consulting business as well. If you like this podcast, click subscribe on SoundCloud. Uh, better still, go and subscribe to my blog. I had about three or four, four people drop off from my subscriber blog list this week. It happens quite a bit. Oh, it's my phone. Someone's calling me. Isn't that isn't that timely? I'll let that ring out. Um, anyway, follow my blog. This has been the Pushing Rubber Podcast. There's the sound of my phone in the background. What incredible timing that is. I'll call back. It's probably Aaron fucking Clary calling me at this time. Um, guys, there we go. Check out my books, Pushing Rubber Downhill and Run Guts Pull Cones. You guys have a great week. It's been lovely chatting to you. Talk to you next week. Ciao.